In this episode, Italy on the move, another travel rider catches coronavirus, and finally, some good news from China. Welcome to the World Nomads podcast. We'll be keeping you up to date with travel alerts, information about coronavirus, and sharing some uplifting news and views to inspire you and keep you smiling. Hi, it's Kim and Phil with you, those topics, and a journalist in lockdown in Paris. But first, Phil, Italy, what is happening? Oh, look, you know, while social distancing and wearing masks is still required in Italy, it has said ciao to lockdown. <laughs> well, at least most of the restrictions. They're in phase two of lockdown where they can leave their homes for less urgent reasons, including exercising in parks and visiting relatives. And some of those people have been in lockdown for something like eight, ten weeks. Geez, you'd be keen to get outside, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, what other headlines have you got for us, Phil? Speaking of face masks, it's now compulsory to wear a face mask on most US airlines. American Airlines, United, Delta and Frontier Airlines have all joined JetBlue in the order. Look, after initially saying face masks provided no protection, the CDC uh, changed its mind and recommends they're used to prevent people who are infected but don't know it from spreading the coronavirus. Hence... The idea of wearing face masks when you're on a plane or in the uh, airport terminal. Oh, look, speaking of American Airlines, they've posted a whopping $2.2 billion loss for the three months of the year so far. But they're saying it's not the end for the airline. They say they've got $6.8 billion in liquidity for their current quarter. And with government aid and other uh, money that's coming in, they reckon they'll raise that to $11 billion in liquidity by the end of the second quarter. So they're not going out of business anytime soon, we would hope. One of the world's most popular tourist sites has had a 99.5% drop in visits in April. It's Cambodia's Angkor Wat, which normally takes in $7 million a month in visitor fees. But with just 650 visitors last month, the takings were a paltry $30,000. Well, two things there. That's super sad for that economy yes. because they rely on tourism. Oh, it's all the but, people all around Angkor Wat who... Yes. Yeah, that's, pro- that's not even taking into account all that loss of money for all of those people there. And as we know, tourism and travel is worth 10% of GDP. This is how people survive. Exactly. But pre-COVID, remember there were talks that they were going to restrict the number of visitors to Angkor Wat because of over-tourism? Yeah, 2.6 million people went last year. So it's probably, yeah. It's bad for the people who try and make a livelihood from around it. But, um, you know, maybe it's time to reset on those things and control those numbers. Hey, look, finally, I've got some good coronavirus news for you. Beijing's Forbidden City is open to the public for the first time since January 25th. Uh, visitors get their temperature taken when they come in and they have to show that they are uh, COVID-free and healthy via a verification app on their phone. And there's a sign of things to come in the future, I think. We're, I think yep. we're all going to have to get something, you know, some sort of verification that we're COVID-free before we can go into um, big public places and travel. That's the new, I'm going to use air quotes, new normal. New normal. There you go. Okay. Eileen Cho is a journalist and photographer who prior to the pandemic would travel nine months out of the year. Beautiful. But she's currently in lockdown in Paris. I've lived here for the past five years. And so I, it feels like home and because I'm American, I didn't want to be in the U.S. with the healthcare that they have. It kind of sucks because most of my family is stuck in Seattle. 
and it's been just a mess. <laughs> it actually worries you, does it? Yeah. Um, so Seattle was one of the first places where it was pretty bad or like the Seattle area. Um, so I have like neighbors who are doctors who have, they were like the first doctors to fall ill. Um, and I was back home in February, um, visiting my parents and also doing an assignment and I had an eye infection and I tried to go see a doctor and it was, the price was just exorbitant. Like it was $1,200 just to get a doctor to look at my eye and get a prescription. So, um, I just can't even imagine what it's like to deal with COVID right now as an American. So you're in lockdown, which means you can't even go to restaurants and enjoy your food. No. So everything is closed except for the essentials. They're quite strict about it because the cops, I live in the center of Paris and the cops have been actively, I guess, checking with people. Uh, I went out yesterday for the first time because my laptop screen shattered on over the weekend, which is so unfortunate. It's never happened once in my life. And Apple France has no way of fixing it. So I had to find like a third party person to fix it. And I went out for the first time yesterday and it was terrifying. Um, explain that. What was terrifying about it? Uh, I'm reporting a lot of stuff for US news source news sites right now. And so I'm really up to date with like everything COVID. Um, and so I was reading a report from Finland about how like even six feet might not be enough of a distance. And so I had to bike uh four kilometers away yesterday to drop off my laptop and people outside are not respecting social distancing um a lot of people aren't wearing masks um there are parts of the city with half open produce shops and it was just filled with people um i was biking to dodge other people on the streets a lot of the cars have stopped respecting driving rules. I don't drive. I've never driven in my life, so I don't know what they are, but I know for a fact you should not be you turning wherever you want. Um, so I was on my bike, like dodging cars as well. Um, it just seems like a very foreign world outside. Um, it's like a society I don't recognize anymore. Now you're also a photographer. Are you documenting any of this, not only for your sort of personal history, but for back in the US? So I did a story few weeks ago for Business Insider about the first few days of lockdown. So yes, I was documenting actively. Uh, I'm still shooting from my window. I just, I don't feel comfortable at all going outside. Um, I have severe asthma. So even before this started, like I'm always sick with like my lungs. So I just, I just don't want to be outside right now. Um, but I'm trying my best. I have a food diary with photos going on of the foods I'm eating at home. Uh, I'm documenting life in my 50 square meters apartment as much as I can. But I've also felt like this crippling anxiety. Um, I'm trying my best to balance it out. And I've been reading a lot about like why creatives don't feel very productive right now or anyone actually. I was reading about grief at the beginning, about how we're grieving like the old world and society we used to know. And I was like, that's a bit much. But now I've really understood. I think that's what it is. Like I go through like these weird cycles I've never experienced really before. Um, the other part is that my partner and I are in lockdown together. And he's a very logical person. And he's just doing what he has to do, like going to work from his off uh, from our couch every day. Um, 
like he's just like it's out of my control whereas I'm like just spiraling on my own how do you think travel is going to change Eileen the thing the weird thing is that I travel so much so in the past three or four years that I've graduated from photography school I was traveling like nine months of the year and it's weird because I have like a background in conservation biology so I'm all about being eco-friendly I was just like kind of grossed out by how much I was traveling, but also what where the tra- like the travel world was heading towards. It was just too much. Like all these people taking weekend trips. Like for me, traveling is about really understanding a place and it t- requires time. And so I told all my editors that I would not be traveling as much this year. And so for me, it feels just like the perfect storm. Like I now don't have to explain to everyone why I'm not traveling as much. I think moving forward, we won't be traveling as much. We'll be traveling in a more thoughtful way, which is a good thing, definitely. I'm worried about all the people I've written about who work, who make their income off tourism. That's one of the scariest things for me. And I have lots of family also still in Korea. And Korea is kind of ahead of everyone else with the pandemic, I would say. And even they who have it mostly under control, people aren't moving as much. Um, So I think we won't be traveling for like a good year until the virus is totally controlled, which means we have a cure or vaccine. Thanks, Eileen. In our last episode, we heard from Rhiannon on how South Korea was managing the virus and doing a good job based on a law that was passed after the MERS and SARS outbreaks in 2015. That put a system in place allowing the government to trace every person carrying the virus to prevent full-scale outbreak. Not a bad idea. Good idea. Now, Meryl is a travel writer and involved in travel PR. Poor Meryl, she caught the coronavirus and she agrees, obviously, it is not a good time for the industry. (laughs) You could certainly say that, Kim. Oh, my goodness. I I really couldn't have foreseen this coming. Everything was so perfect. I I was about to head to Croatia and Montenegro and then to do another trip to Morocco, and, and my schedule was packed. And all of a sudden, pause, hit pause, stop, and who knows when it will resume. And put on hold because of the pandemic that is coronavirus, which you caught. Yes, I did. I did. I, mean, I live in New York City, which is, as you know, the epicenter of really what's going on with, with coronavirus. And there was an estimate made by our, by our mayor that literally 100% of people in New York City have been exposed. So I wasn't, I wasn't so surprised when I caught it. And in fact, there are probably five, six, seven, eight different places I could have caught it. Just being on the subway, being outside in the grocery store, going to Broadway, you name it, you name it. You know, we, we lived like sardines. So yeah, I had it. Were you unwell? Um, and I, I don't say that to be flippant, but uh, there are cases where people have tested positive and haven't even known they've had it. Right. Well, I knew I initially I actually thought I had a hangover. This is really funny. You know, we we were having cocktails and whatever, and I just got a blistering headache. And I said, okay, I just drank too much. That's typical. The next morning I woke up and I still had the headache and I was freezing and I ached everywhere and I had 102 fever. And I said, uh-oh, I, I definitely have this. And that kind of stayed with me for a week. And I was miserable. I was achy. I felt like my shoulder was going to crack. And then the worst thing of all, you know, I write about travel and restaurants and food. I lost my sense of taste and smell. 
and apparently that's one of the really particular symptoms that has to that that coronavirus has so it it differentiates it from the flu so at that point i said oh i have this i'm done and then i had to really quarantine myself be really really careful so it floored you in so many ways physically took away your livelihood and then not even able to enjoy food no <laughs> and and the other downside of it is that I wasn't able to be near my husband. It had been 31 days that I had not been in the same room with him. Yeah, well, tell us about that. Crazy. Because of all the people, well, out of the two of you, you would think that he would pick it up, uh, coronavirus, because he's immunocompromised. Yes, and that is unfortunately the case. Uh, My husband has been dealing with three different cancers over the past four years, and last year he had a bone marrow transplant, which, you know, obviously results in your being immunocompromised and he has to be especially careful. So the irony of it was that we had been very, very careful. It done everything that we thought was proper with the sanitization and masks and gloves and wipes and I, I had lots of Purell, you name it. I had everything. I bought zinc tablets, I made us take it, all the things you're supposed to do to come out of this, you know, okay. And then I got it. And my husband actually stayed okay. I mean, he had one little bout of fever and a cough, and which freaked me out completely. I said, "Oh my God!" Because I'm not in any, you know, in any shape to take him to a hospital if I had to. But he stayed fine, and I didn't. And how was it emotionally uh, to be worried about him, but also apart from him? Oh my goodness! I mean, that you know, we've been married 32 years, and this is the first time, aside from when I travel all the time. We've never really been separated in the same premise. You know, it's crazy. Um, (laughs) We were communicating by FaceTime up and down the stairs. You know, I couldn't go near him. You know, fortunately, he has an amazing sense of humor, and he was taking really good care of me and bringing me food and leaving a a plate outside my door. It was rather funny. And he would knock on the door and say, okay, prisoner 9753, breakfast. (laughs) <laughs> and that would make me laugh every day and it would help keep me, I, I, stay, I stayed very positive and I really think that that's what helped me get through this. Well, you've come out the other side uh, in terms of the virus. What do you think is the future for, for your industry as a travel writer? <laughs> the question of the hour, Kim, oh my goodness. Well, I think there's going to be a lot of pent-up demand for travel. There's no question because people love to travel. I think what's going to happen is that we're going to have a very different take on what on how we travel. It's going to take some time for us to figure that out. You know, every day it changes. Will we be able to do international travel anytime soon? Probably not. I think people will look closer to home initially. They'll they'll feel more comfortable riding in their cars, maybe even renting an RV. You know, I I would suspect that if people don't own cars, the rental industry for cars and RVs will do very well because people will want to drive maybe three hours if they're they're too skittish to get on a plane, which I completely understand. You know, after 9-11, after, during 2008, when we had the financial crisis, people weren't flying for, for different reasons. So people drove. And I think there's still, you know, at least in the U.S., we're a big enough country here that there's a lot to explore and this might be an opportunity for people to stay home and look look in their own backyard if you will and see what's here in terms of international travel and you know specific things like flights 
airplane travel, that's going to take some time to figure out. We're in the middle of the unknown right now. I hate the word unprecedented. I'd rather use unimaginable, but that's where we are. What do you plan to churn out in terms of content then? Okay, well, I just, uh, I just finished a big article. I think I was talking to one of my editors yesterday, and we were talking about, you know, you have to be so careful right now not to be tone deaf. You know, you don't want to talk about, hey, I'm going, you know, this beautiful resort awaits you and blah, blah, blah. That's really being tone deaf and insensitive to people's situations right now. So you can, there's a lot of demand for armchair travel, you know, the virtual experiences. Um, so the type of articles that I will be focusing on will be more armchair-y, if that's a word. Things to look forward to, your dream destinations, um, another way to look at something somewhere you might have visited before, customs around the world. You know, people still want to know about traditions and foods, iconic foods. And if I can find some personalities, I would love to find some people doing interesting things in the travel sphere. Well, there are plenty out there, Meryl. Uh, she's also a New York City restaurant reviewer, so you can imagine how horrible it was for her to lose her taste. But good news, she's back on the cocktails. <laughs> oh, good. She'll bring you back one cocktail at a time. Yes. Hey, look, if you want to get in touch and share your story, whether you're a business or just, you know, a, a normal traveller, email us at podcast at worldnomads.com. Next episode, Stuck in Guatemala. Bye. Bye. The World Nomads Podcast. Explore your boundaries. 